to remind you of is that Jesus did not just do miracles to show His power. Jesus also did miracles to reveal His purpose and to reveal His person. And Jesus' desire is not just for people to follow Him or believe in Him because of what He can do. But Jesus' desire is people to believe in Him and follow Him because of who He is. And as we say this morning, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God. And this morning we're going to see what happens when Jesus interrupts a funeral. You know, in our world we see God do a lot of miracles. We see miracles of healing. We see God's miracles of, of providing. But one thing we do not see, or at least I am not aware of, is God doing a miracle bringing someone who is actually dead back to life. We don't see headlines like dead man comes back to life. However, we do see on occasion headlines where someone who is thought to be dead is not really dead and comes back to life. This happened in Lexington, Mississippi on February 26, 2014. There was a gentleman by the name of Walter Williams who was a lifelong farmer and a father of 11. He had been under hospice care because he had congestive heart failure. And he was pronounced dead by the local coroner at 9 p.m. His nephew said, I stood and watched them put him in the body bag and zip it up. They took him, put him in the hearse, and left. And Williams was taken to the local funeral home, and just as they were getting ready to open the body bag and embalm him, the body in the bag started kicking. Can you imagine being the one who was about to open that body bag? The funeral home manager said he had never seen anything like that before. He said the long and story short of it is he was not dead. He was literally alive and kicking. The coroner was asked, how did this happen? He said it was a miracle. He also said it's possible that Mr. Williams' pacemaker shut down and then started up again. Mr. Williams was rushed to the hospital. His family was called in. His daughter said, seems like he had just had more life in him. The nephew said, it's a miracle, it's just God, and I thank him for it. But unfortunately, he only lived two weeks before he actually died again. For real. But what of an experience that must have been. The range of emotions that that family must have experienced from mourning the loss of their grandfather and the dad to amazement, to joy, back to mourning. And in Scripture, there are nine stories, including the resurrection of Jesus, of an individual who was actually dead, just not near death, resurrected and coming back to life. And in Jesus' own ministry, He raised three people from the dead. And it's not just the magnitude of these miracles of someone being raised from the dead that should interest us, but the meaning of these miracles should interest us as well. And this morning, we're going to look at and unpack the first resurrection miracle in the life of Jesus, which is only recorded in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. It's the miracle of Jesus raising a widow's son from death. The other two resurrection miracles Jesus did was the raising of Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8, and of course the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. But we are going to see this morning what happens when Jesus interrupts a funeral. And what that means to us. Let's read Luke chapter 7 verses 11 through 17. It says, Soon afterwards, he had just raised the centurion's son from a distance because of the centurion's faith. So soon after he had done that, he was on his way to a town called Maine. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, the dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't cry. Then he came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak. Jesus came and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, A great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. I want to share with you three things this morning happens when Jesus interrupts a funeral. The first thing is this. When Jesus interrupts a funeral, or when Jesus sees our need, his mercy alters despair. 
His mercy alters despair. This is the only time in Scripture that the town of Nain is mentioned. You will not find Nain mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. And if you look at this map, I think we have a map of Nain. I think. There it is. If you see Nain, uh, it's, it's 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. It's way down here in the lower uh, left-hand corner. It says Jesus went to a city called Nain. That's where Nain is. So Jesus was traveling from Capernaum by foot. That's only about 25 miles. But Capernaum's at the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And he was going to Nain. It's also about five or six miles from Nazareth. So that's where Jesus was going. And Nain means beauty. Nain means pleasant. Nain means delightful. It was a small town, a farming village in the time of Jesus and it actually still exists today. They had a city gate. Now most people think that city gate was more decorative than for defense, but they had a city gate. And it was on the southern border of Galilee, on the plain of Jezreel, on the northern slope of the hills of Mount Moray. It's about 700 feet below sea level, as opposed to Capernaum, which is about 700 feet above sea level. So when you go, uh, actually it's, it's the other way around, 700 feet above sea level is Capernaum, and Nain is about 700 feet below uh, sea level. I think I have that back, back, backwards, excuse me. So basically what they're doing when they leave Nain and go to Capernaum, they're actually traveling uphill. So Capernaum is below sea level, and Nain is above sea level. So they're traveling 1,400 feet of elevation to get from Capernaum to Nain. So why did Jesus leave Capernaum? Why did he make this difficult journey? Why did he go to Nain? Why did he go to the town that was in the middle of nowhere? It just, just wasn't for pleasure. Jesus just didn't wake up one day and said, I think I'm going to take a journey to Nain today. That was a one to two day journey on foot from Capernaum to Nain, and because of the difference in the elevation, it was a very difficult journey. You know why Jesus went to Nain? Because Jesus knew there was a need. There was a woman who needed His help. And timing was critical as the Jews would bury their dead the same day. The Jews couldn't wait a few days to bury their dead. There was no embalming. There was no way to preserve the body. They had to put it in the grave in the tomb before the body began the process of decay. And I want you to notice who went with Jesus. It says His disciples, the twelve went with Him, as well as a large crowd. So why? Why did this large crowd follow Jesus? Why did they decide to go where Jesus was going? Because in Capernaum, as I mentioned earlier, they had just seen Jesus heal the centurion's son because of that centurion's faith. And they were enthralled by Jesus. They were excited about Jesus. And they couldn't wait to see what Jesus was going to do next. And look what happens in verse 12. It says that Jesus nears the city gate. He runs into the funeral procession as it was leaving the city and going to the tombs. The funeral procession was on the way to the graveyard to bury this young man. There was crying, there was weeping, there was the beating of chests, there was the tearing of outer clothes, and as some funeral processions had, some people may have thrown dirt over their heads or may have rolled in dust or sat among ashes. Professional mourners may have been hired to sing for this funeral procession. And the body, which was wrapped in linen cloth with only the face showing and the folds of the cloth were filled with aromatic spices, was being carried on a burial plate on an open coffin, often called a, a beer, B-I-E-R. I think we have a PowerPoint slide of what this looks like. I'm sure you've seen pictures of this beer. That's exactly what it would look like. It would take four men on one corner of each pole, and they would put that on their shoulders, and they would carry the deceased to the gravesite with only their face showing and the rest of their body wrapped in clothes. But I want you to notice something else. We have the colliding of two crowds. There was a crowd that was following Jesus. They were joyful. They were excited. And because of the difference in the sea level, this crowd was traveling uphill. Then there's a crowd that was part of the funeral procession that was traveling downhill. And that was customary. It consisted of people from the community who dropped whatever they were doing to join the funeral procession to show their support and to show their respect. And this crowd was full of grief 
This crowd was full of emotion. You know, in our culture, typically when there is a funeral procession driving by, what we typically do is we pull off the side of the road to show respect as the funeral procession passes by. But in that culture, you actually join the funeral procession to show your support for the deceased and the family. And notice the distinction between the two crowds. One crowd going uphill following life. You have another crowd going downhill following death. And where do these two crowds meet? Right before they enter the graveyard. This is a perfect description of the course of every person who has lived, is living, or will live. There are some who follow Jesus and they choose life. But you know what? It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's tough to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's difficult to follow Jesus. It's like riding a bike or hiking. It's much easier to go downhill than it is to go uphill. And then there are many who follow after sin. There are many who choose death. And that's much easier. That's like riding a bike or walking downhill. And Jesus made this exact point in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, the only thing that's going to change the crowd to which we belong, the only thing that's going to change the direction of our life, is going to be an encounter with Jesus Christ. We can't change the course of our life. We can't change our eternal destiny unless we choose to follow Jesus. And this funeral procession was for a young man who was his mother's only son. This widow had lost her only son. She'd already lost her husband and now she's losing the only son she had. And the term used for son in the Greek is the word monogenes. It means only born. It means begotten. It's the same word used in John 3.16. Uh, it describes Jesus as the only son of God. When that term is used, it denotes a unique relationship, a special connection between a parent and a child. So this mom had a very special connection to the child that she just lost. She lost her husband. Now she lost her son. She's a widow with no children to help her. She's in a very vulnerable position. This has social implications. This has spiritual implications. This has financial implications. There was no government support. She was all alone. She was facing a future without hope. And this is why the Bible places a priority on the Christian community caring for orphans and widows because in many cases the only support a widow could expect was from her children, especially her sons. And in James 1.27, James said, True religion is this, to take care of the orphans and widows and their distress. So widows and orphans are very important to God. And Scripture makes it very clear if they're important to God, they need to be important to us, and we need to do what it takes to take care of them. But this woman, she's facing a future without hope. And then Jesus enters the picture. And when two crowds met, hope met hopelessness as Jesus immediately recognized the situation. He arrived in the right place at the right time so he could meet this grieving woman in the moment of her greatest need. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is never late. Jesus is never early. When we are facing a difficult time, Jesus is always on time. It doesn't matter what you think or I think. It doesn't matter if we think God is late or God is early. In God's timing, He is always on time. And you look at this funeral procession, I can't say the word this morning, procession heading to the graveyard. Jesus met them just at the right time before they were getting ready to bury the body. And according to the custom, the grieving mother would walk in front of this open coffin. So the first person Jesus would see as He was going uphill and the funeral procession was going downhill, the first person he would see would be the mother. And you know what Jesus did? He met that mother at her point of view. Verse 13 says, The Lord saw her and had compassion on her. 
This is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that Luke calls Jesus Kyrios, which is the Greek word for Lord. And it translates the Old Testament title Adonai. It means the sovereign one. It means the one who rules over all things with authority and power. And the Lord Jesus saw her in her grief. And when he saw her, Scripture says he was moved with compassion. He was moved deep in his bowels. And compassion is not just saying, I'm sorry you're having a tough time. Compassion is not just saying, I will pray for you. Compassion is recognizing the suffering of others and taking action to help. And the fruit of compassion, the result of compassion, is mercy. It's seeing a need and doing something about it. You see, this woman was known by Jesus. Jesus knew she had a need. And he was going to do something about it. And from the depths of his heart, he empathized with her. He entered her pain. He felt what she was feeling. And he leaves his followers. He walks up to her and he says two words. He says, don't cry. Can you imagine telling or someone telling you as you are grieving over the loss of a loved one, don't cry. I'm sure we would be offended. I'm sure we would be upset that we think the person who said it was insistent, but we may say something, who do you think you are telling me not to cry? This woman had every reason to cry. She lost her husband, and now she lost her son. She had no idea what to do next. She didn't know where to turn. She didn't know who to turn to. And the only thing she could do was cry. And I believe her tears were not only for her son, but her tears were also for herself and the situation she was now in. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt hopeless and all you can do is cry? You say you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. And the last thing you want to hear someone telling you is don't cry, it's going to be okay. So when Jesus said don't cry, is that what he was referring to? No. Jesus was telling Jesus wasn't telling her to get over it. Jesus wasn't telling her there, there's no need to cry. You know, I think as a parent, there are times when our children cry and they're, they're crying out for help. Now, other times they're crying, we tell them they need to get over it. But there are times when they cry that, that we need to run to their side. We need there to be there to help them. We need to tell them it's going to be okay. We need to tell them I'm here for you. And most of the time, if your child is crying and are said and you run to their side, the child stops crying. Why? Because they're comforted by your presence and they're comforted by your words. I asked Joni for an illustration where we comforted our children at the time of need, and she had a difficult one of finding where I did that. So, Because as you know, I'm not a, a, a person of mercy or, or compassion too easily. But uh, she did remind me of one occasion. Uh, we bought Aaron a hermit crab when he was very young in California. This hermit crab lived at least eight or nine years. He would not die. <laughs> we took this hermit crab everywhere. We took him from California to Alabama on our six-week journey when we were in California. He survived. We took him back. He survived. He actually killed Luke's hermit crab that we got for Luke and put him in the same cage. But after, not too long after we got, his name was Luke, Aaron called him Spike. After we got Spike and put him in his cage, Aaron was in his room and noticed that Spike was missing. He wasn't very old. He was probably four or five, maybe. Spike was, had missed, was gone missing. The top of his crate was open. Spike was out. And Aaron was very, very upset that Spike was gone. So we tore his room apart looking for Spike. I didn't have mercy and compassion in that case. I helped him find Spike. We finally found Spike behind his bed in the corner. But I went there and I told him, it's going to be okay. We're going to find him. And when I told him those words, he settled down. Because he knew what? He knew I was there to help him find his lost hermit crab. And I did. You know, you'll do some things for your kids that you won't do for anybody else. But I was willing to help my son and come to him in that time of need and help him find his lost hermit crab that he had just got. But you know what? This is exactly what Jesus is conveying to this woman. He's telling her, you can stop crying now. I'm here. He's saying, your, your cry for help has been answered. 
He knew what she did not know, that He would raise her son, giving her the same assurance that everything is going to be fine. And because Jesus had compassion on this woman and met her in time of need and showed her mercy, He altered her despair. Jesus changed her despair to joy. Jesus changed her hopelessness to hope. And what Jesus did for us, for this woman, He will do for us. It should be comforting to us that when we are in pain, that when we're hurting, that God's heart goes out to us. God has compassion on us. Jesus sees us when we weep. Jesus sees us when we hurt. Jesus sees us when we suffer. Not only does Jesus see us suffer, he knows what it's like to suffer. Because that's what He did when He went to the cross for us. He suffered like no one else will ever suffer or has suffered. Isaiah 53 3 calls Jesus a man of suffering. Jesus hurts when we hurt. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has similarly been tested in every way, yet without sin. That verse says He feels our pain. That His heart breaks when our heart breaks. That He cares for us. He wants to comfort us in our time of need. That He is a loving and compassionate Father. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 says that God is the God of all comfort. He's the Father of all mercies who comforts us in our afflictions. You see, just as Jesus entered the pain and sorrow of this woman, Jesus will enter your pain. Jesus will enter your sorrow. And He will tell you exactly what He told her. He will say, no need to cry. I'm here. It's going to be okay. And we should be comforted by the words of Jesus. We should reflect on the promises of Jesus. I think of Isaiah 41.10. It says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right." God said, don't fear. You have no reason to fear. I'm right here with you. I'm not going to let you go. We should also be comforted by the presence of Jesus. Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So through the words of Jesus and through the presence of Jesus, we should be comforted by Jesus as He meets us at our point of need and as He turns our mourning into joy. You know what? There is a day that is coming when all our tears will be wiped away. There's a day that is coming when Jesus will say to those who know Him, no need to cry anymore. No need to shed any more tears. Your cry for help has been answered. I am here. But until that day when Jesus comes again, and we spend eternity in the presence of God, we need to recognize the grace of God. We need to recognize the mercy of God. We need to hold on to the promise of God that He is near the brokenhearted and that He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So if whatever you're going through this morning, my prayer is that Jesus will do for you what He did for this morning. My prayer is that Jesus will alter your despair and turn your mourning into joy. So the thing I want to share with you is when Jesus interrupts a funeral, His miracle alters death. His miracle alters death. Look at 14 and 15 of Luke 7. It says, Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped, and he said to the young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. After Jesus has comforted the widow, he went to the open coffin. And what did he do? He didn't look at it. He reached out and he touched it. And the moment that Jesus touched the open coffin, the funeral procession stopped. And the Greek word for touch is more than a simple touch. It actually means that He grabbed the casket with force and He stopped its forward movement. It's like when a parent grabs a child who's about to walk in traffic. You don't lightly touch your child and tell them to get back. You grab them by the arm and you do what's needed to stop them from going into oncoming traffic. That's exactly what Jesus did here. This is a forceful touch. Jesus is taking charge. Jesus is interrupting 
a funeral and things are about to get good. Because we see Jesus has no concern for himself as, as anyone who touched a dead body would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. And for a Jew, being unclean was a big deal as they would not be able to enter the temple and worship for that whole time period. So here Jesus is willing to risk being ceremonially unclean for the sake of the widow of Nain. And after he stopped the funeral by touching the casket, Jesus began to speak to the corpse. Now can you imagine being at a funeral and you seeing someone walking up to a casket and commanding that corpse to rise? You would probably think they have lost their mind. You would probably think that what is wrong with them, they're crazy. And I imagine this is the same kind of response the crowd had toward Jesus. Because keep in mind, this is the first resurrection to occur in the New Testament. No one has seen anything or heard anything of like this yet. Jairus' daughter in Capernaum has not been yet raised. The raising of Lazarus did not happen until much later in Jesus' ministry. This is the first resurrection miracle. And these people watching are probably thinking, what is this man doing? He's crazy speaking to a dead man. But when Jesus spoke to this man, he used a different term that was used in verse 12. He referred to him as young man. That's the Greek word neomniscos. It's indicating a man under the age of 40. Meaning a man that could really help his mother. A man that could really be there to support his family. And then he commands him, he says, get up. Jesus spoke. The dead man, the corpse, responded. This man who was dead sat up. This man who was dead began to speak. And then it says, Jesus gave him to his mother. What a reunion. I can't even imagine how the mother was feeling as Jesus presented her son to her. I can't even imagine what the crowd was thinking as they saw Jesus perform this miracle. Because before Jesus arrived, this man's life was over. This widow had no hope. But when Jesus came, He ruined the funeral. He restored this man's life. He gave back to this mom what was most precious to her. He gave her back her only son. That's how you stop a funeral. Amy Carmichael, a great missionary to India in the 1800s and early 1900s, wrote these words. It is by what He conquers that Christ's powers will be discovered. It is by what He conquers that Christ's powers will be discovered. Here at name, Jesus not only confronts death, but Jesus conquers death by demonstrating His authority and His power over death. And raising this man from the dead, it's a foreshadowing, it's a glimpse, it's a sneak preview of what Jesus will do as He Himself will be raised from the dead. And it's a foreshadowing of when all men one day will be raised from the dead. But physical death is not an ordinary situation that humans can change. Because death is final. But what we need to remember about Jesus is He wasn't a normal human being. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is God. And what's interesting is that every time Jesus attended a funeral in the New Testament, He broke it up. You know, we've heard of wedding crashers. Jesus wasn't a wedding crasher. He was a funeral crasher. So what He did, He crashed funerals. And if you had a funeral, you wanted Jesus to be there because you knew something good was about to happen. If Jesus wasn't there, you knew it was over. But when Jesus was there, you knew something was about to take place. And I thank God that Jesus came and crashed our funeral. You see, just as Jesus came and interrupted the funeral of this young man, Jesus came and interrupted our funeral when He died on the cross and rose again. Because like this widow, we face the future without hope. But Jesus came to give us hope. Jesus came, as Paul said in Colossians 1.13, to rescue us from the domain of darkness and, and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Jesus came and through His suffering... Through His sacrifice, through His death on the cross, through His resurrection, He made us who were dead 
alive again. Jesus brought us from death to life. Jesus interrupted our funeral. Ephesians 2, 1 and 5 says this. I want to read this for you. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Paul wrote, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And by nature we were children unto wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of His great love, that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace, you are saved. This is what the Gospel is about. It's not about making us better. It's about making us who were dead in our sins alive in Christ. We were headed for a funeral before Jesus came on the scene and gave His life for us. We had a future without a hope till Jesus died and rose again. But because of Jesus, we have a hope and we have a future. You see, it's about Jesus through the cross and the resurrection demonstrating His power over death. It's about Jesus putting death to death. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-56 says, When the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saving, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. What Jesus did for this son and his mother, Jesus does for us. There's a story told of a pastor. He was officiating at a funeral, and after the funeral, he was asked to lead the procession, so he got into his car and he turned the radio on. He became preoccupied in his thoughts. He forgot where he was going. And he thought about something he needed at the store, so he turned into the, the store's parking lot. And as he was about to pull into his parking space, he looked in his rear view mirror. What did he see? A whole lot of cars with their lights on following him. You know what this pastor did? He changed the course of that funeral procession. Why? Because the car will follow him. You know what Jesus did for us? He changed the course of our funeral procession. Why? Because we follow him. You see, just like this pastor offered the course of this funeral, Jesus offered the course of the funeral of man. And Jesus, through the miracle of salvation and the resurrection, alters the course of our life. Before Jesus comes into our lives, our lives are over. Before Jesus comes into our lives, our lives are void of hope. But when Jesus touches us and stops our funeral, He reverses the curse of sin and death. And the course of our lives, He gives us new life. He gives us eternal life. He restores our relationship with God. I'm reminded of the song by David Crowder called Death Was Arrested. It says, alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Aren't you glad that when you gave your life to Christ, Jesus interrupted your funeral. Death was arrested. Death was altered. And the course of your life was changed. You see, when Jesus interrupts a funeral, His miracle alters. The last thing I want to share is when Jesus interrupts a funeral, His majesty or His power should alter our disposition. After Jesus raised this man back to life and presented him to his mother, look what happened in verses 16 and 17. He says, The fear came over everyone. They glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited His people. This report about Him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. So what happened after Jesus raised this man back to life and presented him to his mother is that the crowd was filled with fear. The crowd was feared with awe. Can you blame them? If you saw someone who was dead come back to life, I'm sure you would have the same reaction. I know I would have. I know if I would have been there that day, I probably would have dropped a stretcher and probably wet my pants. I don't know about you, but when somebody comes out of a casket, I'm not sticking around. It reminds me of a story of an experience a taxi driver had with a passenger. 
The passenger leaned over to ask him a question. He gently tapped him on the shoulder to get his attention, and the driver screamed. He lost control of the car, and he nearly hit a bus. He drove up a curb and stopped just inches from a storefront. For a few moments, everything in the cab was silent, and the driver, who was shaken, finally was able to say to the passenger, Are you okay? I'm so sorry, but you scared the daylights out of me. The passenger, who was badly shaken, apologized to the driver and said, I didn't realize that a mere tap on the shoulder would startle someone so badly. The driver replied, No, 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 I'm the one who's sorry. It's entirely my fault. Today is the first day I'm driving a cab. A cab. I've been driving a hearse for the past 25 years. <laughs> he was startled because he wasn't used to someone tapping him on the shoulder as a passenger because he used to drive a hearse and now he's a taxi driver. He forgot where he was. My mentor in seminary with pastor our church attended, he told me once that when he was a young boy, he attended a funeral in a small church and he sat in the back and during the funeral, Somehow the casket tilted just enough, and when it did, the man in the casket sat up, sat straight up, and there was an awful gas around the church, and he thought this man had come back to life, and he said, I couldn't get out of that church fast enough. You know, these men were freaked out when they thought someone who was dead came back to life. It's no different with this crowd, because when this dead man came back to life, it changed everything. Think about this. Just a few minutes ago, they were taking this young man to his grave. They were mourning. They were grieving. They were crying. Jesus enters the scene and he brings this man back. And because of what Jesus did, because of his majesty, his power, his sovereignty, Jesus displayed power over them. And when Jesus did that, their disposition completely changed. They no longer were mourning. They are now in awe. They are now in fear. And because they were in awe of God, it says they glorified God. They praised God for what He had just done. As they knew that what they saw, what they experienced, was only something that God could do. And not only did they give glory to God, they said a great prophet has risen among us. God has visited His people. And referring to Jesus as the great prophet, they probably thought back to when Elijah raised the widow of Zarephath's only son in 1 Kings 17. Or maybe they thought of the dead child Elisha raised from the dead in 2 Kings 4, over 800 years before in the town of Shechem, which was just on the other side of the hill of Nain. And in fact, the words recorded in Luke 7.15, Jesus gave him back to his mother, are the same words Elijah used in raising the widow's son in 1 Kings 17.23. This crowd knew something was different about Jesus. And they interrupted, or they interpreted the actions of Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise to raise up a prophet like Moses, as it says in Deuteronomy 18.50. You see, the people who witnessed this miracle, they wanted to give glory and honor to God and magnify Him and lift Him up because He came to visit His people in a very unexpected and incredible way. You know what? They were right. Jesus is a prophet. But Jesus is much more than that. They were also right when they said God has visited His people. How did God visit His people? Through the miracle of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And God through Jesus is visiting His people as Jesus is the exact representation of God as it says in Hebrews 1.3. So when Jesus came on the scene, God came on the scene. And in fact, the phrase, God has visited his people, was used earlier in Luke 168 in Zechariah's song as he was talking about the birth of the Messiah. And think of what Matthew 123 and Isaiah 714 says the name of Jesus will be. It says, Jesus' name will be Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. This crowd was on to something. God was visiting his people through Jesus because God was with them. These words that they spoke were truer than they realized because the true God was standing right in front of them. The true God had just performed a miracle that they had witnessed. But though they were amazed at the miracle, I'm afraid they were unaware of the Savior. You see, they were praising God for what they'd seen. 
and what they what he had done, but not necessarily because of who Jesus really was. There are many people today who fail to honor, who fail to worship Jesus for who he really is. There are many who honor Jesus as a great prophet who did miracles, but they deny he's the Son of God. There are many who say Jesus is a good moral teacher. That's also true, but that's not all Jesus is. Jesus is so much more than a great prophet. Jesus is so much more than a great teacher. He is God. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He is the one whose mercy alters despair. He is the one whose miracles alter death. And to say Jesus is anything less is to dishonor Him. If we can't worship Jesus for all that He is, we shouldn't worship Jesus at all. If you, shouldn't worship, if you can't worship Jesus as the Son of God, if you can't worship Jesus as the Messiah, if you can't worship Jesus as the Lamb of God who came to take away our sins, and the One who rose from the dead, and the One who's coming back, and all you think Jesus is is a great prophet or a great teacher, you have no business worshiping Jesus because you have a false worship of who Jesus is. Rick Warren, in response to a question about the purpose-driven life, said this. He said, life is preparation for eternity. We were made to last forever, and God wants us to be with Him in heaven. One day my heart's going to stop, and that will be the end of my body, but not the end of me. I may live 60 to 100 years, but I'm going to spend trillions of years in eternity. This is the warm-up act, the dress rehearsal. God wants us to practice on earth what we will do forever in eternity. We were made by God and for God, and until you figure that out, life is not going to make sense. Now, Rick Warren is exactly right. What's the purpose of our lives? To worship God, to glorify God, to praise God for who He is. And we should not wait until eternity to praise Him and worship Him. We need to worship Jesus for who He is and what He has done and is doing, and we need to do it now. Our desire should be for Christ to be magnified in our lives. And we see in verse 17 that those who witnessed this miracle told others what they knew. It said this report about Him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. They saw something only God could do. You know what they did? They made it known. It spread like wildfire throughout Judea and Galilee. They didn't have internet. They didn't have social media. They didn't have texting. They just had word of mouth. And as a result, the fame and the glory of Jesus grew. Isaiah 26, 8 says, Yes, Lord, walking the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Because Jesus defeated death. Because Jesus interrupted our funeral we crossed from death to life. Because Jesus changed the course of our lives and our eternal destiny. Because He's restored our relationship with God and has changed our disposition and done something in our lives only He could do. We should be willing to talk about Him and what He has done for us. Our desire should be to make the name of Jesus known. Jesus didn't interrupt your funeral to be silent. Jesus interrupted your funeral to speak of what He's done in your life. Why? So God can use you to interrupt the funerals of others. If we don't interrupt the funerals of others, if we're not about making Jesus' name known, the people who don't receive Christ before they die, their funerals not going to be interrupted. And they're going to spend the eternity separated from God in a place called heaven. You think this man remained silent when Jesus interrupted his line, his funeral, and gave him life? I don't think so. You think this widow remained silent when Jesus interrupted uh, her son dying and gave her a hope in the future? I don't think so. I think they told anybody they could about what Jesus did. And I think that crowd went and told everybody that saw this miracle what Jesus did. And what we need to do, we need to do what they did. We need to make the name of Jesus. You see, death is a reality of life. And the truth be told, unless Jesus returns, every one of us is going to face death ourselves. And if death is a reality and something we're all going to face, the real question is, what will we do with Jesus? 
John 5, 28 and 29 says, Do not be amazed at this, because the time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life and those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. There is a time coming when each of us will hear a voice in the grave. And the question is, will you have a resurrection of life or will you have a resurrection of condemnation? You see, if Jesus interrupted your funeral, meaning you've given your life to Him, you've crossed from death to life. And even though you may physically die, you will have a resurrection of life. But if you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not recognized your need for Jesus and made Him your Lord and Savior, you are headed to a graveyard of eternal death, and you will have a resurrection of condemnation. And every person in this room has been confronted by the death of someone we love. We've grieved, we've cried over their loss, we've mourned. And there are other things in our lives besides physical death that bring sorrow and grief into our lives and weigh us down. Maybe recently you've had a dream of God. Maybe your marriage or your family is gone. Maybe the hope that a son or daughter is getting right with God is done. Then all these things and so much more, you may feel like you're in a funeral procession. Procession. You're following these things to the cemetery. And you wonder in your grief if anyone cares. Let's not forget through Christ. God has visited us. God has come to us. And just as Jesus came to this widow in her desperate time of need, He will come to us as well. I think of the song called He Knows My Name. It says, He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and He hears me when I call. You see, just as Jesus knew this widow when she was going through, Jesus knows each one of us and He knows what each one of us are going through. He knows who we are and where we are. And He desires to bring hope and light into our darkness. And at the right time, and at the right place, He will. But until then, He promises His peace. He promises His power. He promises His presence. And He promises to use our pain for our good and His glory. What do we need to do? We need to wait on Him. We need to watch for Him as He is on the way to meet you at your point of need. He's on the way to meet you in your darkest moment. He's on the way to interrupt your grief and your funeral and to love you through God didn't forget His people. God didn't forget this widow of name. God doesn't forget His people. And God never will. And may more than anything, may we always give glory to God and never stop thanking Him for interrupting Him. Maybe you're here this morning, you're watching online. Maybe today you're headed towards spiritual death. Maybe you're headed towards that eternal graveyard because you do not know Jesus as your Savior. And maybe this morning you need Jesus to interrupt your funeral by giving your life to Him. And the moment you give your life to Christ, you are guaranteed a resurrection of life and that you will never die. If that's you this morning, we'd love to show you or talk to you how you can give your life to Christ. But maybe you've given your life to Jesus. Maybe He's interrupted your funeral and He's brought you from death to life. But maybe you need a resurrection of joy this morning. Maybe you need a resurrection for hope. Maybe you need Jesus to intervene and breathe life into a situation you are facing. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a marriage that needs raised back to life. Maybe it's a child or family member who's wandered away from God, and you're asking God to bring them back to Him. Or maybe you know someone whose funeral needs interrupted. They're headed down that path of destruction. Maybe this morning you need to come and pray for them and that God will get a hold of their heart. That God will interrupt their funeral. Maybe this morning you need to pray that they would find hope in God just like this widow of Nain found hope. Or maybe you need to be spiritually revived in your life. Maybe you've wandered away from God. 
Maybe you've come to a place in your life where you're apathetic towards God. You become complacent towards God and you just need God to revive you and to restore the joy of your salvation. I venture to say that everyone in here this morning, everyone watching online is somewhere in that space. And I ask when we have our time of commitment, our time of invitation, if you need to come and pray for yourself and pray that God would intervene just like Jesus intervened in this people. Or maybe you need to come and pray for someone else that God has laid on you. Or maybe you don't know Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about how you can know Him this morning. Or maybe there's other decisions you need to make. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, but you haven't publicly shown that through baptism. Maybe this morning you say, I want to be baptized. Or maybe God's calling you to join our fellowship as a member of our church. Or maybe God's laying a call of ministry or missions on your life, and you want to share that with us this morning. However God is leading you this morning, I pray that you respond with obedience. And after we have a time of prayer, we're going to have a time of commitment. And I'm going to ask you that you respond as God leads. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. Father, we just thank you for this miracle of Jesus raising this widow's son. Father, we thank you that Jesus interrupted this funeral procession. That Jesus, Father, showed His power over death. He brought this young man back to life. He gave this widow a future and a hope. And Father, may we understand what You did for this widow, You will do for us. And Father, I thank You that Your mercy alters despair. Father, I thank You that You are the God of all comfort and the God of all mercies and You meet us in our plea and Father, I'm sure there are many needs in this congregation this morning. It might be financial, it might be family, it might be job related, it might be something else. It might be health related. God, whatever these people are experiencing this morning, God, I pray that you would reach down, that you would touch them the way you touched that coffin. God, I pray that you would interrupt their grief, their mourning, their sorrow, their pain, their hurt. And I pray you give them a hope. Turn their darkness to light. Father, if there are those here on our hearts and minds, God, that we know of that are struggling this morning, maybe they've wandered away from you. Father, maybe there are those we know of that, that are facing a spiritual death. And they're on that way to that eternal graveyard. Father, may we ask you to use us to interrupt their feet. Father, maybe we're just complacent or apathetic towards you. May we come and ask you to restore our joy. And Father, may each of us commit to praising you and worshiping you and magnifying you and making your name known because of who you are and what you've done. Father, we thank you that Jesus came and interrupted our people. When he gave his life for us, shed his blood for us, and rose from the grave giving us victory over sin and over death. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. God, meet with us during this time of the day. May people respond in all the ways. Once again,